Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In the month of Ramadan, we hear that this is the month of the Quran. Usually we associate this with its increased recitation in, say, the Taraweeh prayers. But how do we gain an intimate relationship with the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? We know that the Qur'an is Allah's words, that He communicated to us, yet often our relationship with this extraordinary book remains distant. I think this is particularly the case for Western-educated Muslims. Our rather dispassionate approach to our studies leaves us little room to build intimacy with books. And if we do, we give an overbloated significance to those books that belong to flawed philosophers and troubled novelists. This week, I've invited onto the thinking Muslim Ustad Noor Saunders, who has given a lifetime of service to inculcating a love for the Book of Allah. His passion for the Qur'an can be seen through his social media interactions, in a recent post, he talked of his desire to build a Qur'an school in every black inner-city neighbourhood in America. His passion for the Kitab of Allah comes through in this interview, and I ask him to demonstrate how and why we can develop this closeness we all crave in this materialistic and cold, hectic world. Ustad New Saunders, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Alaikum salam, Sayyidi. Thank you for having me. Now let's start with the predicament most of us find ourselves in. I mean, we live in a world where the majority of us uh, are time poor, or at least we believe we are. I suspect we all intend to have more of an intimate relationship with the Qur'an at some stage in our life. But can you please spell out how and why we should have this relationship and why we should do that now? I wasn't into poor. I, I was overseas for a while. I, had one, I went to Egypt to study um, the Arabic language and Arabic grammar. And then uh, I went to Tarim 
And it wasn't into a few years in of being in Tareem and uh, studying um, various subjects that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed the love in my heart for the Quran. So what really sparked that was one day I was uh, sitting in my room and I was looking at all of my books and I was um, just going through different things that I, I wanted to memorize for the upcoming school year. And a thought came to my heart and I just said, subhanAllah, how is it that I've memorized? Uh, you know, at one point, um, Habib Omar, uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect and preserve him, directed me to study the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And I had memorized uh, a few books um, pertaining to the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And I memorized books in various subjects and something just hit my heart. And I'm like, subhanAllah, how is it that I can memorize all of these books, but I can't memorize Quran? And that's when I kind of, you know, my life kind of shifted because, you know, I'm like, I, I've put an importance on everything else, but the Quran. And I think, you know, even to non-students who are memorizing books, if you look at, you know, how we live our life in the West, if, for example, if you just look at our relationship with our cell phones, our attachment to our cell phones, if we just replace that attachment to our cell phones with a, an attachment to the Quran, we'll see a big difference in our life. So, you know, what's the importance is that you'll really never understand the importance until you, you make that leap, you make that turn, right? And I can say it and, you know, we can hear it, but, you know, um, I remember when I first started studying early on before I even went overseas to study, um, I asked one of my teachers early on, I said, what is Tasawwuf? And he said, you know, I can tell you about it. He said, but it's better if you experience. You know, you know he said, I can tell you that you should read, you know, the books of Imam Ghazali. You should, you know, um, you do dhikr, you should have a way of doing all these different things. And it's the truth, right? You'll, you'll never really understand it until you actually open up the mushaf and begin to uh, form that relationship with the Quran, you know? So, but some, some, the reason why we should have this is because it's a cure for everything in our lives. You know, um, I just mentioned today, I was, you know, reflecting today that um, there was a, a really, um, point in my life and my studies, and I think almost every student of knowledge, we go through this where we're torn between going home, staying overseas, you know, things get rough for us sometimes. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a struggle being a student of knowledge, right? And it was a real, I was just emotionally drained because you still have to get up and go to class. You can't postpone classes. You know, you still, you know, you still have exams. And, you know, the only thing that really fixed me which is getting up and just reciting the Quran, right? You know, getting up in the morning and reciting Surah Yasin, and you really see the benefits that subhanAllah, you know, it doesn't make sense because it's, it's something spiritual. You can't make sense of it, but it removes that stress and you begin to, you know, have happy thoughts as they say, right? And I think that one of the ways you can, you, you can look at it after like me personally doing a lot of contemplation is that, you know, it's almost as you're removing all of the negative energy that you that you have, right? You know, spiritually, we'll say, you know, the shaitan is constantly whispering to the Muslim, right? So when you recite Quran, you're bringing, you're bringing into your life a certain amount of light, you know, and these lights are lights from the celestial realm. These are, you know, lights from the heavens that you're bringing into your life, you know, uh, they, the, the, the hadith says that the one who recites the Quran, he's, 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 he recites the Quran skillfully, the malaika are with him. 
And I remember when we studied this hadith, our teacher said, well, where does it say that they leave? You know, as long as the person is reciting the Quran on a daily basis, these malaika stay in his presence. So you recite Surah Yasin in the morning, and then you recite Surah Waqiyah after Asr, and then you recite Surah Al-Mulk at night, and Surah Al-Sajdah after Surah Al-Mulk. These malaika are constantly in your presence, and you get up and you pray the, the Qiyam, you pray the night prayer. And these malaika are just constantly in your presence. So where is there room for the shayateen to come and whisper and to bring a darkness and a negative energy to you? You know, this is one of the reasons why we should have a connection to the Quran. The angels, they look down into the realm of the dunya and they can see the homes in which the Quran is being recited because our homes, it glitter and it shimmers the same way that the stars glitter and shimmer for us. You know, I mean, there's so many reasons why we should have this connection because this life is temporary. You know, we, we have to begin to put something in our, our bank account in the akhirah. You know, we're going to go into the grave and when we, when we transition into the next realm, we go into the realm of the Berdizek. You know, and, you know, it's almost like you have that opportunity to make that very comfortable for yourself through, you know, reciting Surah Yasin every day, through reciting Surah Waqiya every day through reciting Surah Al-Mulk every night. You know, it's a way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us, which is from his mercy, uh, to prepare for our afterlife. And the beautiful thing about the Quran is, you know, because I always tell people, as a child, I remember uh, hearing things about the Akhirah, and I'm, you know, a young boy, I'm like, look, I need something right now, okay? Like, I'm filling out applications and I can't get a job. I need something right now, right? You know, none of these stories when I hire a teenager. You know, so I, I, you know, I always kept that in mind, you know, but even for the dunya, that it brings a certain level of ease and comfort into your life when you have this connection to the Quran, because, you know, the hadith says that the people of Quran, that they're, they're, they have a special relationship with Allah, that, you know, as uh, Dr. Mu'adh Safwat said, a, a great scholar um, who lives in Jeddah, he said once that, you know, that there's levels to everything in the dunya. Even in the akhirah, there's levels. We have the different levels of, of paradise. He said, and in the dunya, he said, in terms of khayr, in terms of goodness, there's various levels. He says, you know, you, you have the salihin, you have the awliya, you know, you have the, the righteous, they have various levels. He says, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pointed out that the best of the best, ahlul Quran, that they are, that they are, Allah has a special group of people and that's the people of Quran. And, you know, um, we can get into who are the people of Quran and, you know, how do you obtain that status, inshallah, if you want to talk about that. But that, that's why we should have a, a connection to the Quran. I would like to query the, the Hukum Shari'i uh, on reciting Quran. So my understanding has always been that uh, the, the majority, if not all of the schools of thought, place it as a recommendation, as a mandub to recite Quran. And and to and and that sometimes um, I hate to say this, but sometimes it's a disincentive when you think about the obligations that you have to do in your life. You you obviously uh, spend a lot of time focusing on those obligations. So we have to pray salam. But you know the Quran is so instrumental as you've just beautifully described it to our lives. Yet it's a recommendation. How do we reconcile that hukm shari'i with? the importance and the status that you quite rightly defined there? As my father used to say to me, um, you know, when I was in high school, 
you know, you're not going to get points for doing what you're supposed to do, right? You all you get points for the extra stuff, you know. So looking at that, obviously the far nothing compares to doing the far behind. That that is a coming upon us. We have to do that, and if we don't, we are sinful. But when you look at the Sunni, it's it's almost as if that is so beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because it's almost as if the slave is saying, Ya Allah, I don't have to do this, but I'm going to do it because I want you to love me. You know, people, uh, it's just like in a marriage with, you know, you could look at it as almost like a romance. You know, when you're married and you tell your wife, I pay all the bills, that's not impressive to her. She, does, she doesn't care about that. If she wants to know, you know, when's the last time you've taken me out? You know, when's the last time you bought me jewelry? When's the last time you got me a new hijab? You know, the women, they want to, you know what I'm saying? So you look at it like that so, so that we can kind of have something that we can understand it in like a, a dunya we way. The reality is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, Halas, I commanded you to do that. You have to do that. But the sunnah is where the sweetness is because we don't have to do the sunnah. So if you look at the Quran being a sunnah, and it's one of the greatest sunnah that we can we can have is to recite the Quran because the reality is that it's far upon us because we you can't enter into the salah you can't you know, perform salah without the Quran right, but it's the sunnah after outside of the salah to either stand and recite the Quran or to sit and recite the Quran that that's when the sweetness you know, it, it really begins to manifest in your everyday life. And you'll start to see, Yanni, uh, amazing things happen when you really connect to the Quran. If you tell your child to make up his bed, but then he goes and he cleans the room, what does that do to the parent's heart? You know, so think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you, you know, you're commanded to do something, but then even outside of the commandment, you say, Ya Allah, this is for you. I just want you to love me and be pleased with me. So let's let's then uh, explore the relationship between uh, the Quran and Ramadan. Um, we we know that Ramadan is a month of reflection, and uh, we're reminded on a very regular basis that uh, it's this one opportunity in the year, or, or a main opportunity in the year, where a believer can uh, better themselves and and better their status as a as a believer. What is the uh, the relate? Is there a relationship between uh, that sense of betterment and the uh, relationship one wants to achieve with uh, the Quran? Yes. So uh, the, the so historically the the month of Ramadan is a month of change, right? And I think that every Muslim at a certain point has experienced that, right? And you know, um, I know. Um, so in the, you know, what we, we always say is we, um, we make fun of people and we say, oh, Ramadan Muslims, right? Like such and such is a Ramadan Muslim. You know, uh, I know in the inner city, we say, uh, people stop, you know, stop selling drugs during Ramadan. What's this? You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, but the reality is it's just a month of change. The shaitan is locked up. So these people come back to their natural state of goodness. They don't have that big shaitan on their back you know, telling them to do shar, telling them to do evil. So it's, it's naturally a month of change. And the reality is the Quran was revealed in the month of Ramadan because the Quran changes everything, everything. So if you combine the two, it's, you know, one of the things that really hit me, um, my last Ramadan in, uh, in Tareem, 
uh, I was praying behind, behind uh, Sayyidina Habib Allah. And just something came to my mind is that, you know, it's just a month to get a fresh start. It's almost like a, a, a month where you can just reset everything. And, you know, uh, I'm not into medicine very, you know, heavy. I don't read a lot of articles or anything like that. But from what I do know about fasting is that they say it resets your system. So even on a medical, on a, on a scientific level, you're resetting your system, you know, and that's just vahir and outwardly, you know, and then, you know, and when we say vahir, we're speaking about, you know, flesh, blood, things like that. Uh, but vahir and inwardly, you know, you're just resetting, you know, the, the ruh, the, 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 the soul and the heart, and you're just giving it uh, a new mashhad. And mashhad in Arabic, you can translate it as view. But think about this view as more of a, a spiritual view, you know, a spiritual uh, perception of things. You know, you don't come out, of, if you do Ramadan correctly, you're not going to come out of there the same. And on a personal level, um, I was born and raised as a Muslim, alhamdulillah. Um, my grandparents were the first to convert to Islam. And then my parents, alhamdulillah, were Muslim. And, you know, me and now my children are Muslim. And alhamdulillah, my kids are studying in Tareem. Um, you know, so mashallah, alhamdulillah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward my grandparents for embracing Islam and showing us the straight way. Um, but I grew up and I had a rough start, you know, because I grew up in the inner city. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of, um, there wasn't a Daru Mustafa or a Habib Omar. You know, there, there wasn't, there, there was none of that. And I, unfortunately, I got caught up and I, I went the street route and alhamdulillah, I was able to get out of it. But there was a point in my life where I didn't pray. And I remember one Ramadan, um, I said to myself, at least for Ramadan, I'm going to pray in the masjid. And I remember Ramadan came in, I would drive to the masjid. I was still in America at the time, of course. And I prayed all my salah, prayed salat al and I never, until this day, I never missed a prayer. <laughs> so this is, this is the barakah of Ramadan, because this is when the Qur'an came from the celestial realm into the realm of the dunya. The Qur'an changes, it changes everything. You know, it can literally, you know, change communities if we implement, you know, this minhaj of, you know, being from Ahl Qur'an and raising our kids upon the minhaj of the Qur'an. And, and what is, in your mind, the role of the commoner in uh, interacting with Qur'an? I mean, I was brought up, uh, maybe implicitly, uh, believing that the Qur'an was very much unreachable for the ordinary person. Of course, we were brought up to be Muslims, and we learned how to pray, and, and we learned all of the rules. And, and But, but we, we weren't necessarily... We didn't necessarily have that level of intimacy with with Quran, maybe primarily because we're, you know, I, I was brought up in a, a non-Arabic speaking household and and uh, it was always taught to me that Islamic law is derived partly at least from Quran and, of course, the other sources of Sharia. And um, one needs to be an expert to derive Islamic law. And so implicitly in my mind, only experts approach the Quran and, and the commoner like myself uh, has to find other means to uh, to reach uh, a relationship with with God, whether that's through prayer or, or, or others. I mean, of course, I, I you know, in, in, in reflection, I, I, I understand this to be uh, the wrong understanding. But how can a commoner uh, interact with the Quran? So this is um, something that I'm very passionate about. Um, it's a it's a few it's a few ways. 
Um, so um, we may spend some time on this particular um, question. Okay, so, so, so the first part is, um, I have an organization, uh, um, very, I'm not trying, like, I'm still studying. So, you know, it's very small. I try to keep it small. You know, I don't record a lot of videos or do a lot of classes. And my main goal is to connect people to the Quran. And what does that mean? It means that, you know, the majority of people are intimidated by the Quran. You know, and, you know, myself as a student of knowledge, fluent in Arabic, studied books, and I'm like, you know, Quran is hard. And I remember when I first enrolled into my first Quran school, and I remember um, the mudir or the, 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 the dean of the school uh, pulled me into his office. And mashallah, he's so softy, so pure that he was just so honest with me. And he said, Ya Sheikh Nuh, I said, Naam Sayyidi. He said, um, you know, he said, your recitation is horrible. <laughs> and he said, what are you going to do to fix it? I said, um, I'm going to work harder. He said, that's what I want to hear. And just sent me on my way, you know, but that, that you know, that's what most of the people are going to hear when they begin the journey, you know, and, um, but you can't be afraid of that because I was just speaking with a friend just uh, before we, we, we got online and uh, I sent him some recordings of Dr. Amen. Dr. Amos Suwaid, um, who is basically what we, you know, according to the, the teacher, excuse me, the students of Quran, we consider him to be the leader of the Quran. His recitation is perfect, you know, or the closest thing to perfect in our time. Um, and he was saying, SubhanAllah, I'll never reach that level. I'll never be able to recite perfectly. And I said, that's not true, Sayyidi. I've seen people, you know, Arab, you know, in from Syria, currently in Beirut, they come to my teacher, and, you know, because they have a very strong accent, you know, certain words they can't pronounce because they're used to saying certain letters in a certain way. Um, and they, you know, six months later, they're reciting perfectly, you know. Um, so I get the intimidation part. It is, you know, nothing that has a lot of khayr or barakah and goodness and blessings in it is going to come easy, right? You have to work towards it. But we also have to take the mentality that, when we go into university, we work very hard to get our degrees, right? So we also have to put that same uh, passion that we have for the dunya into the akhirah. And, the, and, the, and that's, you know, referring to the Quran right now. Um, so I get the intimidation part. Um, so but what we have to do is understand that there is a tartib and there is a process. Uh, this is going to be aired after Ramadan, but I'm actually doing a program with uh, Dr. Shari al-Masri uh, on the 27th of, um, of this month. We're going to do an overview of Tajweed studies and how to memorize Quran. So for anyone listening now, if you didn't catch it, uh, go on Safina Society, um, their, their YouTube channel it should be on there, and you'll get an overview of how to study Tajweed. Inshallah, bismillah ta'ala. Um, so once you get the basics down, how to, how to recite the letters and, you know, how to pronounce the letters, excuse me, and you begin to learn how to recite the Quran, the main thing that I think what messed our generation up, Sayyidi, is that everyone told us that we had to memorize Quran, to have a relationship with Quran, and that's not true. We need to learn how to recite the Quran from the Mus'haf and read the Quran from beginning to end and get ijazah. As long as we, we have two things, we understand the rules of Tajweed and we understand that it's okay if I haven't memorized large portions of Quran, 
but I know how to read from Al-Fatiha to Nas, yani good, good enough that, you know, I can get ijazah from the Sheikh, which as long as you're reading from the Mus'haf, you can do two pages a day looking at the Mus'haf. You don't even have to memorize it, you know, and you, you learn the rules of recitation. You learn the Maharaj al-Haruf, the articulation points, and the Sifat al-Haruf, the distinctive qualities of each letter. You go through that, and it will take time. It, it will take time, and it will be hard, and it is, you know, to learn how to pronounce the ball, the ah, ah. It takes some time, you know, but once you once you get there, and you you begin to see the benefits, you know, in one year to a year and a half, you're now able to read the entire mushaf from beginning to end and begin because the real relationship with the Quran is with the khatam of Quran. And you know, there's a secret in that. Abdullah bin Mas'ud, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, the one who completes a khatam of Quran, meaning that he reads the Quran from beginning to end, and he has a dua that is mustajab, that he has a prayer that is guaranteed to be answered. And, and this is where we really, like, we really start to peel the, the different layers off is that this is what we're aiming for, is to get to that. We, you know, people say, what are the benefits of the Quran and, and the dunya? Right here. You recite a khatam, you get the dua that is guaranteed to be answered. You have a difficulty in your, a difficulty in your life, go to the Quran. And this is the secret, but everyone told us, you have to be a half of the Quran. What, where, where, what's going on with your head of the Quran? And I think that deterred a lot of people that I'm not good at memorizing, or I'm scared of the Arabic language, where if we just show people that, in terms of Tajweed, you can really study Tajweed in about two months and really get a firm grasp on the science of Tajweed and then begin to read the Mus'haf from the Sheikh. And there's a technique to doing that. And I'll just mention just very briefly, for example, you take one page of Quran and you listen to a Qari such as, and I would recommend either two Quran and you know, I would limit it to this and I'm just being fair. Uh, Dr. Amos Uwaid and Sheikh Mahmoud Khalil al-Husri. I, I, and that's for, in terms of studying, in terms of what you want to listen to, um, you know, over a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, whatever, whoever you choose. But in terms of you know, listening to pronounce the Quran properly, I def, my first choice is Dr. Amos Uwaid and then uh, Sheikh Mahmoud Khalil al-Husri. Um, if you do this, listen to that page, and then follow along with the sheikh after having studied the rules of Tajweed. And then you go to your teacher, excuse me, you go to your teacher to read that page and he, you know, he'll help you with it. You know, cause even if you just take um, one of the techniques that I use uh, for memorization is I just break the page into three, three parts and I recite each part 41 times. And then I recite the page 20 times. And alhamdulillah is, is very firm, very fabid after that. Um, but if you just take and read the page, you know, you break the page into three parts and you read, you read each part 10 times because you're not memorizing. You're just trying to learn how to read the page and you read that page each, you know, you break it into three parts and read each part 10 times. Halas, you know, and you maybe read the page five times after that because you're not memorizing. You just want to get a flow for the page. If, if you just, you know, over a course of a week, you know, you do three, four pages you know, a week, you know, you can do a, you know, because at this, you know, in the beginning, you're just learning. And then you'll get to a point where khalash, you can now read the Quran because you've read these pages over and over and over again. 
And now you'll begin to have this unintimidating relationship with the Quran. And people will say, subhanAllah, how'd you do that? It's very easy, but we just needed people to tell us that you didn't have to memorize the Quran first, you know? Um, and as far as like, I know that, um, so that's, you know, the, the method that I would recommend for Westerners, you know, and I'm speaking strictly for Westerners. That's what I would recommend is learn Tajweed, learn how to recite the Quran from beginning to end and get ijazah, get connected to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, the Quran connects you to Rasulullah because you're learning how to recite the Quran the same way that he recited the Quran. So that would be, you know, my first for Westerners, you know, if you're not going to memorize Quran, take this route, learn how to recite the Quran from the Mus'haf. Okay. Um, now, in terms of people who are busy and, you know, they just want to have, you know, they can't sit every day and recite a Jews of Quran. You know, some people work 12 hours a day and then have to commute and then they get home, they have to eat and, you know, halas, they're going to sleep. Uh, I did a connecting to the Quran series last Ramadan. Uh, unable, I was, unfortunately, I was unable to complete the series, um, but I got through most of the Quran. And what I did is I basically went through each ayat of the Quran, excuse me, each surah of the Quran, gave the benefits of the Quran and gave what's called a cheat code. So for example, um, get familiar with certain ayats of the Quran. So if you can't recite all of Surah, Surah Al-Baqarah in one day, which most people can't, get familiar with the first four ayats and form a relationship with those, four, those first four ayats. Because a lot of virtues in those four, first four ayats of Surah Al-Baqarah. Um, you know, Ayat Al-Qursi, the last two ayats of Surah Al-Baqarah. And begin to form a relationship with those ayats of the Quran. And, you know, just make it a habit that, okay, before I get into my car, I'm going to recite these ayats. When I get out of my car, I'm going to recite these ayats. You know, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I'm going to do is recite these ayats. You know, after each prayer, I'm going to recite these ayats of the Quran. Because you're forming a relationship with the Quran. You don't have to look at it as, subhanAllah, I have to tackle the whole of the Quran. No, form with, with parts of the Quran. That's okay. You know, or different uh, surah of the Quran. So, for example... Uh, Surah Ikhlas will take something very simple. You know, um, one of my teachers told me just recite Surah Ikhlas 11 times, right? So I'll recite Surah Ikhlas 11 times after each prayer with the intentions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placing a deep love in my heart for the Quran. There's a hadith that mentions uh, the Prophet Sheikh Surajuddin al Husseini mentions it in his book. Um, the name of the book escapes me right now, but he, Sheikh Surajuddin al Husseini uh, mentions that a hadith where the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, know that, you know, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed the love in your heart for the Qur'an, know that Allah has met, Allah and his messenger love you. So it's enough just to love the Qur'an to get that, 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 that pleasure of Allah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be pleased with you, right? So even if you just form a relationship with a few small surahs of the Qur'an that, okay, khalas, I'm going to recite... Uh, you know, Surah Ikhlas is my Surah Ikhlas is my Surah. I'll recite, you know, I will recite Surah Ikhlas 11 times after each prayer. And before I get in my car, before I go into the market, you know, everything, khalas, yani, I have to recite Surah Ikhlas 11 times. Give me one second. You know, before you have a cup of coffee, you know, in Tareem, we have a tradition before we have a cup of coffee, uh, we sit, we make dua and then write, recite Al-Fatiha, right? So you can begin to just form this relationship 
you know, get, gather your friends and say, subhanAllah, before we, uh, you know, you sit down at the Starbucks or, you know, whatever, wherever, wherever your cup of choice is, you say, khalas, before we drink this coffee, guys, let's uh, recite um, Surah Ikhlas 11 times. You know, uh, for example, some people have an intimate, intimate relationship with Surah Yasin. You know, even if you just have an intimate relationship with, you know, certain Surah, surah of the Quran, you begin to, you know, form a deep love and connection to the Quran. You know, and it doesn't have to be like, okay, khalas, I just, I'm going to take on, you can't take the Quran head on. You can't do that. You know, even the Prophet Sallallahu it was revealed to him in stages and parts. He didn't even receive the Quran in, 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 in one go. And uh, I was, uh, uh, in preparation for today's podcast uh, interview, I, I came across a tweet of yours that you sent out earlier today. Uh, about the highs and lows human beings go through. And, and to quote your tweet, you said that there are times in my life where I've been emotionally exhausted. And the only thing that really made me feel healthy was a constant recitation of the Quran. And uh, you mentioned that Netflix and junk food doesn't cure you. It just takes the pain away momentarily by distracting you. But we live in a we live in a world where we are going through these highs and lows. And, and often it is these... Uh, these channels and and songs and you know various other and films and you know cultural cultural uh, outputs that um uh, that uh, help us uh, or supposedly help us through uh, those lows. I mean, can can you spell out why the Quran is a better uh, a, a better course of action for for someone who goes through these uh, these uh, peaks and troughs in their lives? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to, I think the best way for me to say this, I remember when I was uh, 16, I was in the inner city and um, I remember I asked this one guy in my neighborhood, I was like, man, you always got a nice car. You always got a nice car. He said, at one point in time, I didn't always have a nice car. He said, but I got tired of wasting my money on, um, you know, like the, um, you know, the used cars. And he said, once you get used to driving in luxury, you can never go back. So you could just feel the difference, right? And I think that that's so real, so relevant to, once you experience the real, it's so hard to go back to what's volatile, to what's just falsehood. You know, we think that these songs are helping us and, you know, it's giving us an increase in, um, it's giving us an increase in, uh, in, in, you know, uh, spiritual aspirations, or it's making us feel better, but it's really just numbing us. It's not really healing us. You understand what I'm saying? So the Quran actually fixes you long-term where this is just like, you know, it, it, it only just, you know, momentarily takes the pain away. It doesn't really fix us, you know? So once you actually experience it, you know, it's like, subhanAllah, like, yeah, this is, this is the real deal right here. The other stuff was just, you know, it just had me thinking that I was cured. But, you know, two, three hours later, I was back to being depressed. You know, a lot of people are dealing with depression. And, you know, they're like, they have this thing, it's called stress eating, right? People are stress eating. I'm just going to order a burger. Halas, I'm so sad. And then after you eat the burger, you're still stressed, right? So, so you didn't really benefit from the burger. It's kind of like, you know, you're eating a burger and you're watching uh, Netflix and, you know, you try, you try to binge watch but then you wake up and you're still sad. You know, what would have, so the person could have binged and watched Netflix or ordered some food or, you know, listened to, you know, whatever songs that they listened to. And it, it would have been temporary. They would have felt good for that moment. And, you know, 
they would have convinced themselves that they're better and halas, you know, I'm, 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 I'm okay. I'm going to get over this particular uh, trial that I'm going through. And then two, three days later, probably even before that, you know, it's back. But with the barakah of the Quran, you know, you recite Surah Yasin in the last third of the night, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to just remove my sadness. The light, they are recited and it didn't, it didn't happen. Maybe it may not happen immediately. And here's why, like, you know, we have to be real with people that some cases are more severe than others, you know? So you may need a higher dosage than somebody. So don't think just because you recited Yasin one morning and, you know, things didn't get better, give it two, three days, you know, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to abandon you completely. You know, he's not going to just leave you there, especially if you're taking the measures that he's prescribed for us, for the hearts, you know, because all of these different things in reality, you know, sadness, um, anxiety, the reality is that, you know, these are all states of the heart. You know, we have to examine our heart and what, 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 we, have we, what, we, what have we exposed our hearts to? And a lot of times, Sayyidi, um, we may think that the Netflix is going to make us better, but it's actually making us more sick. And I'll explain why. Um, when we were studying the Shema, you know, I, I hate to say this again because they're like, you know, Habib Omar, but I mean, this is who I spent six years just taking prophetic inheritance from, you know. Um, but he said to us, he said, you know, a lot of, he said, he said, this was in this house uh, during the Dora. He said, you know, a lot of times you guys ask, you know, why is Habib saying like, you know, I tell you guys all the time, take the TVs out of your house. Don't watch movies. He said, because, you know, he's speaking about the virtues of the Sahaba. And he said, they're given this title for a reason because they took companionship with the best of creation. And when you watch, he explained what a Sahaba and Sahaba is when you sit with somebody, you know, whether it's in person, like right now, you and I are taking Sahaba, even though, you know, we're miles away from each other. But we're interacting and we're exchanging, you know, ideas, emotions, and spiritual states, you know, and, you know, whatever dhikr I may have done, inshallah, will affect you, inshallah, in a good way. And whatever dhikr you've done will affect me. But likewise, if you hang around bad people, whatever shar they may have done will affect you, right? And Habib mentioned that when you watch movies, you're taking sohba with these people. And I think one of the most dangerous uh, diseases of our time is that we binge watch series. We build relationships over years with actors and actresses who, you know, Allahu alam on what they really do. You know, we've heard, you know, the conspiracy theorists, Allahu alam, I'm not going to go into that because we don't, we don't have factual evidence to point to if that's true or not. But these people are not Muslim. These people are not, you know, just on a very basic spiritual level. They're not taking ghusl. They're not taking, they're not cleaning themselves properly. And this is who we're taking sohba with, you know? So we think that we're watching Netflix and it's going to make us feel better. But who are you, when you sit and you watch Netflix, right? Let's look at it from a very spiritual level. You sit and you watch Netflix and you're taking sohba with somebody who has never made sajda a day in their life. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And then you're eating food from someone who is not Muslim or, you know, even if you order from a halal restaurant, Allahu alam on, you know, the state of the person who cooked the food. You know, Imam Manawi mentions that the Muslim should not only eat what's halal, but he should also eat from a righteous person because the athar goes, the, 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 the effects of that, you know, the person who cooked it goes into the food. You know, and this is why the people during their time were, were only of the highest caliber, you know, so, and so, 
we're doing these things and it's making us more sick versus if we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, it's kind of dry and we don't want to do it, but that's what's really going to cure us. Just like, you know, a lot of diseases are cured through, you know, exercise and change in diets versus, get, you know, a lot of times the doctor will say, you know, there's two options, you know, you can work hard, change your diet, you know, um, exercise more, or we can, you know, you can do a surgery, you know, so it's, it's dry, it's harder, but, you know, it's, it's a lot better for the soul than to just numb yourself with Netflix and fast food or, you know, music. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And what do you make of, I mean, in, in the world in which we live, I mean, these are, you know, very much, um, these Western societies are very much liberal societies. And, and as you said, you know, Netflix is one, a byproduct, an outcome of that. Um, but also we find that uh, the, and, and as you quite rightly said, the amount of depression is in, in these societies is that, uh, pandemic levels and and people have uh, anxieties and and uh, there are you know a host of psychological illnesses that accompany these uh, these types of environments and and things are getting worse right in every survey I read about for example young people and the state of depression it it seems to be multiplying and getting worse and it's 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 affecting uh, uh, the, the younger age groups and and often what you find is uh, that uh, there are, you know, YouTube influencers and, and, and you know, and Amazon uh, books that are out there to, to help people to overcome this, you know, these new age philosophies and ideas of mindfulness or yoga. And I'm sure there's, there may be some benefits in, in, in some of these. But uh, for a Muslim, uh, I, I would imagine you would, you would say the first the first place to go to is is Quran, and and we often don't do that. We often go to these things rather than uh, reflect on on getting a relationship with our with our Creator. I mean, can you can you comment maybe on on that? Yeah, um, what you said is right. And here's the thing: the people who do that, they're not wrong because what have we established for them to 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 you know say you know what I'm going to go to the Dar Quran. I'm going to go to, you know, this particular uh, organization where, you know, they make the Quran relatable for me. And it's not just Quran. It's, you know, I can go there and I can, uh, you know, I can get, you know, food and company and companionship and feel love. You know, we haven't created that safe space for people, you know, um, I, I, you know, that's, that, that's the reality is that most Muslims in the West, they're looking for something, they're yearning. And it's that, you know, the reality is on a very deep level is the souls are yearning for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is a very, you know, the, uh, this is very deep that the souls are yearning for something. They're learning for, they're, the souls are yearning for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they're looking and they're not finding it anywhere. You know, so they're, 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 they begin to, you know, this, this is an inward reality that we can't see, but it manifests itself outwardly by, you know, uh, going to these gurus, going and on Amazon and looking for, you know, reading these books, these self-help books. I mean, just look at the name, self-help. They're looking for help. But, they're, you know, the cure is in the Quran and through the prophetic sunnah, but no one is taking it and making it um, 
relatable to them. I mean, there are people, alhamdulillah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless, you know, Sheikh Ibrahim, uh, Dr. Shadi al-Masri, I mean, so many people, but, you know, we, we still need more, you know, because each generation, you know, it's getting harder for them. And I don't blame um, the youth. I don't, you know, when I'm on Twitter and, you know, very seldom do I actually scroll. I usually post and get off. Uh, that's the method to my madness. I post, I post and I get off. Um, but sometimes, you know, if I'm having a cup of coffee, I may scroll for about two or three minutes. And I mean, what do they have that, that says to them, hey, you can come here and we're not going to holler at you and tell you how non-religious you are. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of times they're very, very intimidated by the fact that, you know, um, the religion is almost set up to be intimidating by some of these organizations or some of these scholars. And, you know, alhamdulillah for the scholars that are like, you know, really, um, you know, uh, they're really taking the initiative to, you know, just you know, bring people closer to, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a way that's relevant to them, you know. So I think that what we need um, is more organizations and institutions that are very, that they're geared towards younger people. You know, they're geared towards, you know, what's really happening. You know, we can't live in la-la land, you know, when you have things like TikTok and Instagram, you know, it's, we, you know, we, we can't be blind to that that this is their culture now. You know, um, I have a theory that, you know, the new culture is based upon social, we have a social media culture. You know, the way people live, they live based upon how this is going to look on social media. They don't make decisions how it's gonna to look to the community anymore. You know, years ago it was, you know, what are people in my community gonna say about this? Now it's what are people on social media going to say if I do this? Will I be able to, if I go here, will I be able to post this? Ah, yeah, let's go there because we can get some good pictures, right? So, you know, we have to keep that in mind when we do the da'wah is that, you know, people, this is their, this is their state. This is their spiritual state. So how can we raise their state while still coming down to where they are? You know, we can't expect for people to raise up and be where we are. Sometimes we need to go down and just hold them by the hand and say, I know where you are and it's okay. And, you know, just walk with me. You understand what I'm saying? So I think that the, the answer to your question, Khulasa, a summary is that, you know, just to build those safe places for people, Sayyidi, for people to, to feel like, you know, to be able to say, I don't know how to read Quran and I've been Muslim my whole life and not get looked at, you know, like with the, with, with the crazy eyes. And, and, and I suppose uh, the engagement or relationship with the Quran have, has many layers and one layer is 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 uh, Allah subhanahu wa taala is communicating with us. We see the Quran is a speech of Allah subhanahu wa taala. It's his his words and his majesty, and and we are uh, we're trying to understand and appreciate and 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 communicate with our with our Creator through his through his kitab, and uh, uh, that poses a problem for us because we are. English speakers and and we don't have uh, that level of proficiency of the Arabic language. Um, is there a way by which we can we can understand, uh, not from a legalistic perspective, but, but on a on a very more more basic level, understand this communication without um, uh, without under, without having a high level of proficiency in the Arabic language? 
Yeah. Um, Allahumma salli wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad. That is a very beautiful question. Um, a brother from um, LA, very, very close friend of mine. Um, we were speaking about this not too long ago. Um, you know, he studies some Arabic. He's not fluent in Arabic. But, um, you know, he asked it. And I think this is relevant to everybody. You know, mo- you know most, I, I just want to clarify this for people. Most people who speak Arabic cannot understand every single thing in the Quran. <laughs> you know, I don't think people realize that, that there are Arabs, you know, born, you know, there are Arabs, the first language is, you know, the Arabic language. They don't understand every single thing in the Quran. You can't, you, you know, don't feel bad about that. Um, but how do you connect to the Quran without speaking the Arabic language or understanding the details of what you're reading, right? Or you may read the English uh, Quran to actually, so you can get an understand, uh, understanding. Okay, first let me quote Sheikh Sarajuddin Husseini. He mentions um, the hadith where it says that the one who recites um, an ayat of the Quran receives uh, ten, you know, they get uh, ten hasanat, ten, you know, ten good deeds. Uh, he says, and when and by you know uh, what we mean by a word in the Quran, we don't mean you know alif lam mean is one word. Uh, alif is one word. Lam, mean, you know, lam is one word, you know, ten hasanat for aleph, ten hasanat for lam, ten hasanat for mean. So, so Sheikh Sirajuddin al-Husseini says, in reality, no one knows what aleph lam mean, aleph lam mean means. So, so this is proof that you don't have to understand the Quran to actually benefit from the Quran, right? So the reality is that the Quran is a cure for the hearts. Right. And it's a medicine force for, you know, I believe that if you recite enough Quran every day, it will begin to change the way you think, it will begin to change your outlook on life. I believe that the Quran changes everything. Right. Now, when we go to the doctors and the doctor says, okay, you have this, 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 and this, I'm going to prescribe for you this medicine and this medicine and this medicine. And he says, um, you know, for example, this medicine is for your nausea, right? Or he says, this medicine is for this, 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 and this. So you don't really understand how it actually works, right? Most of us don't, unless you know you're, you know, you're a doctor and you're in medical school. We don't really understand exactly you know, how it works. We take the medicine and we see the benefits of it, right? So you don't have to actually understand the Quran to benefit from it or to actually have a relationship from it, or asking me a relationship with it. But what we do need to do is we need to understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed a benefit in this book and this recitation for us, right? And that's reading from the Arabic. And in the English, you know, alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Quran is translated and we can begin to connect the dots of what, so for example, some people may read a verse in English and say, subhanAllah, that really, uh, had an impact on my heart and then go and read in Arabic and just the mere fact that they know what they're reading they can begin to connect to it they know that okay this this verse you know ayat such and such and you know uh surah you know whatever the surah is they can begin to connect to it and the more you recite the Quran the more just the barakah of the Quran will have an effect on you you know, so I don't think that um, necessarily you have to understand every single uh, word from the Quran, every single, uh, everything that you're going to read, but you just understand that, you know, this is what a cure is. And this is, you know, it's going to benefit me. 
you know, and just have that, remember that, just love the Quran, just have that, like, just think about the Quran, love the Quran, you know, contemplate about the Quran, you know, get attracted to the sciences of the Quran, the, how was the Quran preserved, you know, and then you'll have a relationship with it, because what does it mean to have a relationship? It means that, you know, you think about this constantly, even if you're not reading the Quran, you love the Quran, you're thinking about the Quran, you understand what I'm saying? You know, even if you're reading the English, it's, you know, okay, it's not the Arabic, you know, so, you know, you don't get as much reward as you would for the English, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, he's the most merciful of those who grant mercy. You know, you're reading it to get a connection to the Quran and Allah will give you what, you, what you're seeking. Allah knows, Allah is the most merciful of those who grant mercy. La ilaha illallah. And and one final final question. Jazakallah care for your for your time today. It's been really inspirational. And uh, I I read again on your uh, on your Twitter stream that you have a dream to build a Quran school in every inner city, um, uh, and produce young black boys who aspire to be masters of the ten recitations of Quran instead of rappers. And and that's a very laudable, very uh, it's a great you know objective uh, to have. Uh, Tell me a bit more about that. I mean, why why is the Quran so important for these inner city kids? So, Allahumma salli wa sallam ala Sayyidu Muhammad. Allahumma salli wa sallam Muhammad. Okay, so the first thing, I um, I want to say that I I just want to I want to word this properly because this is really important to me. Um, okay, so right now in Philadelphia, um, there's been ninety six murders. Um, and it's not getting any better. And that's, that's murders. We're not talking about shootings, right? Um, you know, it's not just Philadelphia. It's, you know, Atlanta, it's um, Houston. You know, it's all over. It's, all, it's not, and it's just not in the inner cities anymore. It's spreading into, it's, it's into the suburbs now in, in America. Um, you know, as I said, the Quran changes everything. Um, you know, I'm a, I love hip hop music. I used to be a rapper, right? I, I was I was a rapper uh, for a long time, and alhamdulillah, Allah took me off of that path, and I began to study Dean. And you know, I love hip hop, um, and hip hop had a major influence in the early '90s, and it was very positive. And a lot of people even embraced Islam because of hip hop. So hip hop isn't the problem. However, uh, there are there's an aspect of this what's called drill music that I personally think, you know, um, is affecting the inner city African-American community. Um, you know, I don't think that this is something that if we continue to allow, I think if we continue to allow this to stay, um, to stay you know, in the inner city, we allow our children to continue to listen to this and we don't take a stand. We're going to lose more and more children. Last week, there were four teenagers uh, murdered in Philadelphia, 15. I have a 15-year-old son who's studying in Tadim. You know, when I see things like that, I'm just, I'm grateful to Allah that I, I was able to leave and come overseas and study. But I also look at what what's going on back home. You know, I have friends and family there. You know, um, so when we talk about the Quran and building a Quran school in the inner city, you know, I think that the the, the main thing for me 
is that remember what I said in the beginning of the podcast is that Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that whoever does a khatam of Quran, he recites the Quran from beginning to end. Uh, that for him is, a, is a, a prayer that is answered. And I think that the Quran can change everything. And I think that one of the main, for me, the main goal is to go home eventually. I just think that that's really important that, you know, we begin to understand, like, you know, we can change our reality, you know, and I believe that, you know, the African-American community has a chance to change, you know, and I, I believe that these 96 murders are, is an indication that, you know, it's time for us to step up. It's time for us to begin to build something, to save our youth, to save our children, you know. Um, so for me, that's, that's, you know, seeing these things has just been, you know, I'm studying harder. I'm staying up later. I'm, sleep, I'm sleeping less because, you know, I have a 15-year-old son and Allahu Alam, if I stayed on the path I was on, but he had been one of those 15-year-olds who was murdered last week. You know, alhamdulillah, my son is, you know, preparing to go to Nabi Allah Hud for the, 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 the annual visits of Hud, you know, and I'm grateful for that, but I still have nephews who live in, you know, different parts of New Jersey who, you know, they're in and out of jail. We have to save our youth. So that's really, for me, the, the you know, the aspiration for me to just go home and really just you know, give my all, you know, via the Qur'an, you know, use the Qur'an to change my people. InshaAllah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help you in your in your endeavor and, and help us all to use this month of Ramadan to improve ourselves and to to, to really establish a, a greater relationship with our Rabb through, uh, through the Qur'an. InshaAllah, Sayyid. Shukran. I appreciate you for allowing me to come on and serve, inshaAllah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.